0: And welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. I'm, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we're back after a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, again, kind of busy, but uh, we're still hacking away at it. Hacks that we are. Hack hack slash slash.
1: Yes, uh, my night shift duties have come to a close. So you can look forward to Topic Tuesdays again. Uh, no longer will I be slaving away by dark of night. Uh, I will only be slaving away by light of day. Hmm. So, <laughs> Well, that's encouraging. Uh, so, yeah, Tuesdays are back on the menu, boys. And uh, it's meats back on the menu, boys. Uh, well, so good. look forward to Topic Tuesdays returning now that the uh, season of hard labor has uh, thinned out a little bit. So. We've got that to look forward to. But we have more to look forward to than that. We also have a couple of call-ins today. Yeah, yeah. Things have been busy around for folks as well as just other than us. So, Oh, yeah. The holidays were pretty rough on everybody. You know, just coming down from that and, you know, catching up with everything and getting the new year underway. It's been a little bit of a chore.
0: Yep. So, uh, we got ones from Joe Richter Ooh, with sports. And uh, Jason from RPG Nerds Cast. Yes. Or Nerds. RPG, right? It's RPG variety cast. My bad. But, uh, yeah, so they've got some counts, so we're just going to lump them together. We're going to go with Joe first, and then Jason. Then we're going to uh, deal with that, and then get into some topics. So we're just going to delve right in. Stick around. Hit it.
2: Yo, boys. It's Joe again. And I know it's been a while, but I'm just super happy you're talking about adventures and modules and that stuff again i love that stuff i know i'm a sucker i'm a one trick pony that's the stuff i like but sorry uh anyway rise of the Rune Lords is the one adventure that i think i'd really want to play with the skilled dm i would love to play that all the way through with a dungeon master that's ready to go and just into it man that just sounds like so much fun from everything i've heard it's the most amazing adventure is it the best one I don't know I've never played it but I bet it's better than the watsies adventures they've been putting out so anyway man that's enough for me I really want to play Rise of the Rune Lords with the skilled dungeon master all the way through around a table I'm selfish I know peace out
3: Hey guys Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast been really busy been behind on my podcast just caught your two Star Trek episodes. Wonderful, really enjoyed them. I think you really nailed, you know, the topics. Um, I I just finished recording one on Space nineteen ninety nine with Ray Otis of Plundergrounds, and yeah, it's it's interesting. You look at the other shows that obviously you know kind of took cues off Star Trek and tried to do different things, but you, you know that original the original series really does stand alone as is, is kind of a unique thing back then so very very good um yeah so look hopefully my schedule slows down a little bit i look forward to catching up and then staying current on your podcast keep up the great work and we'll talk to you soon take care bye
0: all right well hey thanks for those calling guys uh yeah so we're gonna start out with joe yeah thanks a lot uh, glad you enjoy us getting back on the topic uh, sorry we took some diversions so we took some Oh, Less traveled paths.
1: I'm not sorry at all. I think they were they were some worthy topics, but some of them drifted away from traditional gaming per se. A Few of them did. Yeah. Uh, but it's a brand new year, and there's so much terrific material out there to review that uh, we, we've got a lot. We got a lot lined up. I'm not all right. So the kimono just fluttered a little. That was the Taco Bell he had for lunch. Yeah, it was the back of the kimono fluttering. Don't worry. The front is not about to fly open. Not going to give it all away. Uh, But yeah, there will be some, some reviews of materials from gaming publications that are exceptionally worthy. Just some real favorites, things that we got some passion for. Yeah,
0: we'll definitely be doing a lot more Pathfinder um, this time around, so stick around for that.
1: Um, oh, yeah. I mean, we it, we would be, and the word returns, remiss. Ah. We would be remiss if we did not hit a couple of other legendary Pathfinder outings. Yep. Uh, now, obviously, this, this one we have been discussing is near and dear to our hearts because it represents one of their maiden voyages, uh... You know, an incredibly successful and, you know, well written publication that secured their position and their legacy, which, you know, I mentioned that last week. Uh, oh, yeah. But they it. have not just rested upon their loyals or the laurels. Laurels. That they did not just sit there and go, well, we've achieved this incredible thing, and so now we're just going to coast. They did not do that. So, to their credit, they proceeded to follow through and kick butt. Uh, and we'll cover those in other episodes.
0: Right, and so we're just going to go through some of the classic Pathfinder stuff as uh, the year goes on. We're also going to cover some D&D stuff as well, always uh, out for our classic, but also we'll be touching some 5th edition as well, and uh, we've got some exciting times coming up. Uh, we're going to also continue to do our recap on uh, our adventures in 1st edition with the Temple of Elemental Evil oh, yeah. uh, against the Slave Lords and against the Giants. We're actually going to do a kind of... Not just a nostalgia stroke, but a actual recap, like as if we would just played it and talked about some of our uh, favorite times and some of the things that we remember, as oh, well as our characters.
1: There will be some nostalgia stroking. Uh, make no mistake. I mean, there there will be some, you know, module analysis, uh, you know, like strengths, weaknesses, moments like that. There there will be more than nostalgia stroking, but there will be nostalgia stroking. It will oh. totally happen. Right oh. through the right through the fabric of the kimono.
0: Well yeah, but, but we've already uh except with the Temple of Battle Battle Evil and the Drow series, I don't think we've really touched on those, but this time we're gonna do it a little differently. We're gonna talk about it from our running our days of running it, being run through it, as well as playing in it. So
1: Yeah, the the impact on the participating player uh voice, which normally we don't
0: Yeah, that, we that's don't not do much direction. on that. We try to
1: we, we try to give an analytic look at how does it unfold for a DM. You know, what are the things to be ready for? What are the, the qualities? What's the, the main plot? Uh, we try to go for the meat and potatoes, but it's also nice to have fun and... I mean, hey, you got to say, there, there is a certain amount of worth in looking at it from the player's perspective. Like, oh my god, the room with that?
0: Oh. War stories are always fun to hear about, so we're just going to try to make that. But anyway... fine
1: guy with a two-handed sword hurling gobs of burning fat down to you before you try to get into a fight? Wow! Yeah, all right, you know, that that's a kimono opening for a later discussion a few modules ahead.
0: But also, uh, Jason,
1: thanks for that. You enjoyed the Star Trek stuff, yeah? We really—that uh, was a—that was a love song from us too. That much the same way we we did the, you know, love song for Conan, uh, unabashed, unashamed, great love for Star Trek for all it did. Yeah,
0: and uh, I noticed that Joe, the ubiquitous rat, on Twitter was uh, reading the Star Trek adventures just as we were uh, getting around to doing that, and I was spending oh, oh, cool. my time with the Quick Start rules, so. Yeah, I hope you check that out, Joe. Uh, let us know what uh, came of that. But, uh, yeah, uh, Space uh, 1999. Now, there's there's a gem oh, in wait. the... Eighteen Ninety 1899.
1: 1999.
0: We were talking about... The, he was talking about... He did a... Jason, excuse me, did the uh, Space 1999 uh, recap on his podcast. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there's another diamond in the rough that... Uh, Yeah, you know, again, it's one of those shows that hit at a point in time where some people like, oh, it was terrible. You know, I was a kid. I I enjoyed it. uh, Commander Koenig and uh, uh, some of the cast there, Carter, uh, were some of my favorite characters, too. I mean, I often... uh, I had a huge, huge space 1999 uh, Eagle starship, uh, the Moonlanders. And uh, it was like... I think it was like two feet long. Probably it was. It seemed so big in my mind because it was kind of little. But man, I I played with that, and
1: um, I was out of the loop on that. I got to catch up. Yeah. Oh man.
0: You know, it was a kind of cool little toy I had. But uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff on that one, and uh, you know, just definitely liked the uh, the look of Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Even if some of the stories were a little thick for a younger kid. But hey, you know. Uh, Star Trek, uh, I showed a little clip to Mike to talk about how I kind of felt. And it was the one where Scott, Commander Scott, uh, was aboard the Next Generation Enterprise and had, went to the holodeck to sit on the command bridge.
1: And to remember.
0: Picard, with Picard, and they were shooting a breeze, drinking uh, uh, alien ale or whiskey. Uh, yeah, Aldebaran whiskey. Aldebaran, yeah, that was it.
1: Who do you think gave it to Guyman? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, drank it down like a pro. Watch it,
1: it's got a kick. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's all right, he doesn't have to worry about heart disease. Yep. Ha-ha. <laughs> ah, uh, Picard. Oh, come on, man, have a heart. Oh, sorry, too soon. Ah, uh, just, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, um... Uh, ha- Star Trek looms large because it was first, yeah it and i I just mentioned this in private conversation i was I was gushing for a moment uh, and I compared it to the Velvet Underground. The first album by the Velvet Underground may have only sold a thousand copies, but the joke everyone tells is that everybody who bought a copy went out and started a band uh Star Trek, the original series may not be as amazing and cool and slickly produced as the stuff people see today, but at the time that it happened, despite its niche popularity, it had an impressive impact. Just this enormous, punching-above-its-weight-class impact on science fiction writing and popular culture that lingers even today and so the the huge amount of awesome sci-fi that we're able to access now uh that door was opened by that show uh, and by those people so it it lives large in my memory way above their relative perfection you know we can have the debate over what was the perfect show and i'm perfectly willing to let people have that like oh, this one did this better i'm sure it did I don't actually doubt that. But the amazing thing is the influence it had. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it at a very specific time and place in history, this thing showed up out of nowhere and blew minds. And that's worth remembering. Yeah, that's... My point was, is
0: it was oh, that's where I always go to as the original series. Not that I dislike any of the uh, new stuff, but I do. Because I really grew up on on uh, DS9... Especially after the first few seasons, once they got their sea legs underneath them and really started to cut loose. I thought that was uh, the whole Cardassian Dominion uh, Federation War was really, really good stuff. Uh,
1: but yeah, uh, even it, the Taylor is a spy.
0: Yeah, I know, Garrett. Uh,
1: and Quark was hilarious. Yeah. Bring. Armin Sherman just pwned it there. He was just fantastic uh, as an actor. Uh, and Odo. Mm-hmm. You know, Rene Aubertonois, they had just this amazing cast. There were some surprisingly subtle actors for a little science fiction show. You know, you don't think of it as being that popular or that big.
0: I want to say it's Jeremy, or it's Jeffrey Combs as Wayne. Ah. Yeah. He was really good. So, all right, well... Uh, Thanks for calling in, fellas, and of course, uh, any of our listeners out there, feel free to call in. Use the ink crap, and uh, of course, we'll meet uh, you on the show. And uh, Yeah,
1: you I mean, if you we will... drop the ball big time, go ahead, feel free to call us out. We, yep. we actually prefer to know when we blunder. Oh, we, we mess up all the time, so.
0: No no harm, no foul. All right, so. We're <laughs> that
1: the... is the secret to reducing blundering in your ranks. <laughs> blundering minions are the undoer of villainy. hmm very well. So, uh, yeah, with that in mind... This uh, PSA from Dr. Z.
0: We're going to uh, turn you to, to a little pain-of-the-bills action with doing some advertisement, and then we'll be right back after this, so stick around.
1: All right, and we return. Ah, oh, we're back. Yeah. The scurrilous, unfounded rumor of gaming podcasts oh. has returned. Scurrilous rumors. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, as much promised, we're
0: going to do the part two, uh, of Rise of the Rune Lords. We're going to take it down one at a time, and uh, one at a time here tonight. We're going to be covering four, five, and six, which are the transition parts where it starts to go from kind of establishing the characters and the setting to now really getting at the meat of the matter. And this is where you start to tackle some of the bigger uh, themes and topics.
1: Yeah, in the earlier three episodes, there were only allusions to. Uh... The room lords. There are hints and allegations, but no substance. Uh, Now, in the next three, you begin to see a much more uh, revelatory involvement, where the players rapidly find themselves, uh, wow, this is just not the rumored coming end of days, you know, isolated old man with a sign on a street corner, the end is near. Uh, No, something is actually happening. It is very big, and it is very horrible.
3: Uh, right,
0: that... after the uh, the last one, uh, you start with Fortress of the uh, Stone Giants, with the players nominally in, or presumably in, uh, Sandpoint, where they originated. And you basically start an attack by Stone Giants, just right out of the blue, just right out of the gate, boom. Yeah. There you go. Stone Giants are attacking Sandpoint. What? And a Red Dragon. <clears throat> and so, yeah, it's a fight.
1: But about this That's time... That's your opener. Okay, that's, that's the opening events for yeah, this. This players. is not big lead-in. Yeah. Know. No, nothing. Just, you know, the characters are uh, rested, healed, leveled up. Uh, you know, they've, they've gained a lot of precious experience over the previous three modules. And then, pow! Right hook, right to the face. Right, they could be at Fort Rannick, but you would
0: need to get them at uh, Sandpoint for whatever means. And during this time, that's a DM contrivance to... Get the players there. Maybe they're just visiting friends or just uh, getting supplies or whatnot.
1: Called to court, you know, uh, being briefed on details. You know, you can contrive any number of reasons. Yeah, there isn't a whole
0: lot to go at the same point point point. point, except for supplies. But, hey, whatever you're doing, get them there and then you hit them with this. And so it opens up the whole part of, wow, these stone giants uh, traveled long distance to come here and smash this place. Why is this? And so uh, clues... Are left behind uh, the giants are massing, not just stone giants who are normally peaceful
1: and somewhat isolationistic, not yeah. wanting to be bothered. Which is a very deliberate contrivance on the, the part of the writers. That, you know, the, the question mark here is why would stone giants of all the giants do this? Uh, you know, they are broadly speaking uh, pretty neutral and not much given to rampaging across the people's territory. So that it begs that instant question from the players. What could have motivated this? And with clues peppered behind, uh, they're led to, Yeah, you know, we're going yep, to have to take a, action. There's uh,
0: a charismatic stone giant leader who is calling for the eradication of all the uh, lesser races to return the giants back to their former glory. But more sinisterly, it's not because he, this new storm, uh, stone giant, Jarl, is doing it for, or Thane, is doing it to uh, usher in a new era for giants. He's preparing for some arrival, and if the players have amassed enough clues, they start to put two and two together that this might be the Rune Lords, because the Stone Giants were the engineers of a lot of the Rune Lords' architecture and buildings. So off the players go into the Stroval Plateau, up into the Highlands, and track them down to their lair, Jorgen
1: Fist. Yeah, and this in the finest tradition of Dungeons and Dragons, and now of course Pathfinder. Uh, in the finest tradition of the Against the Giants modules. Uh, And the homage is pretty clear here, okay? Uh, They didn't reprise it, okay? They didn't just plagiarize the material and run with it. They very thoughtfully created a much more well-fleshed-out scenario. Uh, But uh, the homage of the players having to either A, preferably stealthily creep, in and get information, or B, uh, you know, fight their way through uh, to acquire
0: information. Yeah, and there's a lot of giants. So uh, going with the the second one could be near suicidal because mm-hmm. there's just not like oh, there's twenty or thirty here. No, there's approximately three four hundred giants around here, and of various types, including some hill, a few fire, and some frost. Of course, the players are somewhat expected to. Uh, Sneak their way in. And some people, again, here's that railroading thing. Well, you know, what if they decide to do something else? Well, great. Adapt. If they think of a way that wasn't covered in there, they, uh, they oh, give you a level to it. Yeah. And at this point, the player character should be around 10th to 12th level. So they have some fairly considerable firepower and abilities to play with. So, you know, uh, in our uh, playthrough yeah. of it, mm-hmm. uh, we use Charm Monster. Well, to uh, attract a few uh, giants to get our characters inside. Which is perfectly allowable. You don't have to kill everyone. Oh, correct. Um, Um, Also, Overland Flight allowed... uh, A spell allowed the players to uh, reconnoiter the place with invisibility and other means.
1: Yeah, they they made inroads in that particular incarnation. In that particular playthrough, they, they made great strides in gathering intelligence before they made their actual penetration of the place... Uh, which would have been incredibly high risk uh, if you know you have extremely combative characters who like I'm totally going to kick every giant in the butt. That attitude may not work well in this one. That you know th- this does require a certain amount of subtlety. I'm, I'm not taking it off the, the table for a bunch of 10th and 12th levelers, but <laughs> yeah, even with a giant slaying
0: longsword that was semi-intelligent. That was not the recommended course it wanted, either. Yeah. Oh, it definitely wants to kill all the evil giants, but um, it wants its wielder to uh, retain control or to be ambulatory so it can get as close as it can to as many of them in the short amount of time as possible.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to wind up dumped in a giant's uh, treasure trove, uh, you know, after you get pounded into mulch. Uh, That was the the attitude of said sword. Now, uh, Jorgenfist... Is wonderfully well detailed. Yep. Yeah.
0: Also uh, worth mentioning is the uh, ogre barracks being right near the. It's a large opening into the earth that the stone giants have uh, unearthed this ancient fortress. And uh, the when we got in there, the uh, ogre is piled out of a crude barracks that they had built. And uh, a useful grease spell and darkness cast in quick succession.
1: Ah. Uh, anyway. Series of things. Uh, flight. Invisibility. Grease. <laughs> yep. Uh, in front of the pit. And then a well-timed fireball after they had all slid into it covered in grease. Uh, and then a darkness spell. Yeah. just They to, couldn't see. Just to cover up everything so that they had no idea what was going on. Um, <laughs> one, of my, one of my better days, actually. Yep. Yeah. And... Uh...
0: It was like a take out of the three stooges. (laughs)
1: But...
0: (laughs) Falling down into the pit. All right, you knuckleheads. But, uh, yep, getting down there and confronting the uh, Thane and finding out that there's an ancient library of Thessalonian lore of antiquity and also a couple uh, monstrous guardians that kept the place as it was, uh, sequestered in secret, only the Thane was able to move in and out freely, allows the player characters to start putting the final pieces of the puzzle together.
1: Yeah, the library is kind of plot essential. In, I I don't want to... I don't mean this as a harsh critique, uh, but failure to, like, on an intelligence-gathering mission, a, you know, conscious choice not to gather intelligence, uh, and the library, of course, being a very large source of it, that would be a critical error on the part of the players. So steering them into that uh, by careful choice of language, probably a hot idea for. New well,
0: priests. yeah, it's it's well documented that there are a few stone giants who don't feel that way. Uh, a stone giant priestess, particularly, doesn't like this course of action. Remembering the ancient tales of slavery.
1: Yeah, the the uh, rulers were not rumors. nice to anybody.
0: Huh? And uh, mentioning that the thane only got these ideas after visiting the forbidden library that. Uh, no one he would forbid anyone to go into, but then came about with uh, strange ideas and different
1: came clues. Out with golden tablets that yep. nobody else saw getting them. Yep. They disappeared afterwards, and you know, <laughs> got to trust his interpretation of them.
0: Which, of course, having some uh, skilled players at the table or old hands that knew that, like, hey, some giants really aren't that aggressive. We should talk to a few of them. and Indeed, that's what ended up happening. But you have your usual mix of stuff that hangs around with the giants, trolls, ogres, and even some malicious fey, the redcaps.
1: Now, uh, making a, a strong tactic for the party here is to build on the alliances that are available. Uh, that is the strongest tactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put a rift between them and then get... Uh, maneuvered into a position where you really only got to do the boss fight to remove the big bad at the top of the heap and get him out of the way so the Giants can, you know, break off from this path to war. Uh, that, you know, that, that's one way players can settle it. Uh, there are, of course, other ways.
0: Yes, and they detail those pretty well, so... But at the end, you um, the players are in... at least have access to an ancient library... Now, the one plot point is that it's in t- preserved almost in time, like amber, where you can't remove anything. Anything that is removed from there turns to dust. Time catches up with it, which is an important clue for the next one. So, after getting that, uh, the players obviously will return to wherever uh, haunts they call home, and Sandpoint suffers a devastating earthquake, because Sandpoint's littered with some monuments from the old Runelords. That first dungeon in Thistletop
1: and the uh, other, uh, the underhauls. Those would be the hints and allegations we spoke of. You know, the, these things that are, broadly speaking, agreed upon to be relics of that time. Uh, this ancient, ancient era of uh, pre-human history with you know these titanic figures, the rune lords, striding across the globe, uh, doing as they saw fit, and building great things, but you know, you've only had hints, and now the hints are more than hints. Uh, big yep. crack so of the earth, the, uh, big earthquake, and voila! Yeah, that
0: one tower, the lonely tower that uh, spews uh, at random intervals a column of light near Sandpoint. That people just oh, that just that kind of thing happens because magic, you know. Yeah,
1: don't screw with it. You know.
0: Yeah, people leave it alone, and uh, it now is opened up into the under halls. And into the halls of sin, and inside find a number of deadly demons, and also some more clues that lead the players to understand that Sandpoint was once a more or less a way stop to a nearby area that the Rune Lords used to forge weapons of great power.
1: Yeah, this is Sins of the Saviors, the fifth installment. Yep. <clears throat> and you get. A much more intense view of the world of the Rune Lords, you know, the, the former buildings of and the schematics thereof. Uh, you, you get this much more intense conversation uh, that constantly goes back to the Rune Lords. Uh, and yep. that one is imminent, particularly, you know, Karzag the Claimer. Uh, who has been referenced in the past.
0: Yeah, this was his uh, stomping grounds. And so, armed with this knowledge, and now having the final fragment to find out where they forged their weapons of power, the players should be pretty eager to go there and make themselves some fancy weapons to fight these jackholes. And so,
1: yeah, off you go. Yeah, you should go. be looking at about like 13th, 14th level characters by now. Certainly past level 12. Uh, and, you know, they're ready to delve into this dungeon-below sandpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, let's just say that you know the, the place in which you get to forge these weapons is not unguarded. Nope. It <laughs> challenges galore. Oh, yeah,
0: and danger as well, because there's a freaking uh, great dragon, white dragon, that hangs around the place and uh, considers it all uh, theirs. Yeah, all this is mine. Yeah. So and, that one you know, is not an easy encounter. And getting into the Halls of Sin is not easy either with all those demon guardians. But now you get into these, this ancient fastness and Karzog the Claimer is awakened, but not fully in this plane yet. He is still gathering power. But even so, the players can construct weapons and enchant each one of them, one of their chosen items, by sacrificing some other things. Into these uh, rune wells and activate uh, their weapon or make their weapons so they're proof against one particular school, which is Karzog's The Conjuration. Aha! So now they have a powerful uh, bane against some of his more effective spells, which will pay off in the final showdown.
1: And, uh, you know, the module does provide some very good opportunities to make this clear to the players. Yep, um,
0: that was in the Underhalls that yeah. this is where they went.
1: It does not leave you, like, depending on the players to figure this out for themselves with very little in the way of clues. No, it does place this data uh, in, you know, multiple ways, stressing that there are ideal times for the DM to bring it forth.
0: and Yep, from that all. library of Thessalonian lore. And here, in the uh, from the Ruins of the Unders, uh... Halls of Sin.
1: A way to defeat an
0: actual Rune Rune Lord. Lord. Yep, and they kept this Rune well around because it was sort of a compact between them all, sort of a mutually assured destruction. Should any of them really go to war with one another, they can return here and forge weapons capable of
1: rendering one or the other useless. Huh, because their past titanic battles were so destructive that... Not something they really wanted to do over and over again, endlessly. They, you know, The only way to win is not to play. Yep. Uh, they, they had their war games moment. Uh, and the end result of that is that uh, once this is reactivated and made use of, uh, the players are now forewarned and forearmed uh, before they go into the belly of the beast.
0: Yeah, and then to the room well itself, uh, there are several... Uh... Normal humans who have remained there for a long time in one particular place in the halls of enchantment alone. Uh, the rune lord of lust, uh, servants are secubi who have been tormenting a poor, uh, former paladin. And if you were to remove him from there, which happened in our group, as soon as he's removed from the halls, he disintegrates because all the time catches up to him.
1: Yeah, interesting little touch there. To, I mean, how do I put this? I consider it an awesome contrivance, uh, not a stupid contrivance. I like it because it allows enormous freedom for the DM uh, and for the writer of the module that during the areas where players are out of time, so to speak, uh, the things that they acquire and make use of can be there and be of use to them and be helpful to them, but when they leave, those things are gone. Now, it May seem like a little bit of a rip for the players, but it does let the DM have a free hand with titanic clashes and awesome stuff. Yeah, especially a lot of the
0: tomes that enhance your abilities and things like that. So the players,
1: you get use out of them if you use them there. Right,
0: but you do not want to like try to tote. Oh, we're just
1: going to cart all this
0: stuff up. Well, some of it, yeah, some of the metals and things like that will stay, but they'll be diminished in some way or another from the you know ten thousand years that they've been interred. But Again, uh, some of the NPCs you may encounter can be helpful, but uh, they don't survive being removed because they've been in there too long.
1: Yeah, 10,000 years years is just more than their mortal form can bear. So, um,
0: But that concludes that, and now the players reach the ultimate encounter, which is the Spires of Zinshalas, the sixth and final entry, which uh, you go right into the Spires of Zinshalas, sort of like a Shangri-La Lost in the highest parts of the Minespin Mountains in Galarian. A place that's almost between the plains.
1: Yeah, it's kind of lost in time, like has been referenced in the previous two modules. The... the uh, how do we put it? Uh, it is both of the physical world, but just slightly out of phase, so to speak. Yep. So, you know, the conditions for entry... Are pretty steep and only possible because the Rune Lord is slowly coming back into reality. Yep. Uh, and you're arriving at these spires of Zinshalast uh, to, well, hopefully, forewarned and forearmed, stop Karzog the Claimer, uh, the Rune Lord of Greed, uh, from completely emerging into reality. In which case, he would be nigh unstoppable. Yep. However, in this halfway zone, uh, you know, in this interzone between reality and nightmares, uh, he is still vulnerable, especially with the weapons that they have forged. So, this is by no means they just show up and start bashing. Uh, there are things they will have to go through to reach. The oh, final yeah. Boss. A
0: monstrous roper, a wendigo, um, and also going up 40,000 feet from sea level. Into the highest reaches of the lower atmosphere, and all that entails. But by this time, certain spells and abilities should be available to player characters, should they use them carefully and correctly, that yeah. allow them to survive. And they also, there's a few holdouts. There is a uh, a nymph that guards an ancient sacred pool, a druidus, who can also look out for them and provide sanctuary, should they need it in their poorest to lives, which is a place of great and extreme wealth. All the doorknobs are made of fine jewelry, diamonds, rubies, emeralds. Um, Even the fixtures are of gold and platinum and silver. There is nothing here that is not made of ostentatious, lavish wealth, as much to Karzog's glory as it was. This city was made to glorify and epitomize. You may actually, part of the mountain has been carved out in the visage of his face, so vain and narcissistic in his desire for uh, greed and um, lavish
1: praise. It's a giant shrine to I want, uh, which is the essence of greed. So, you know, imagine the the difficulty that this will place on others should he go free. (laughs) Yeah, so you have your party rogue running
0: around, you know, just filing off doorknobs and taking literally everything. Even the nails are made out of gold-aligned lectrum. Come on. Woo!
1: Yeah. Oh man, see you are so lucky I was a mage. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, I I have been known to get out of, out of hand.
0: Now right. the city's full of devils who have lingered here for a little too long and have become bored in their duties, as well as blue dragons and rune giants, glore, and finally Karzog himself. Now, up to this point, the players have encountered him once in a project image, an animated statue where he's kind of confronted the players and warned them away. But uh, hopefully they dealt with that in uh, Book five, but had uh, yeah, they didn't, then to make six kind of superfluous. But nonetheless, uh, they get up there thinking maybe he's still recovering and find out, nope, he's fully ready, and ready and waiting for them.
1: This rune Lord is fully operational.:
0: Yep, and it's a long <laughs> uh, running fight through the spires, and his personal dement dements high up in the spire itself. And finally, getting down to his Runewell, which is a throne room surrounded by burning hot liquid magma. <laughs> rune giants, a blue dragon, and now, enslaved I, I storm giants. For a moment.
1: So, what are rune giants for the audience? Uh, for those who have not played Pathfinder. Oh, yeah, they're a, a particular giant. giant that the uh, rune lords
0: used. They are... Uh, Kind of a cross between fire giants, stone giants, and ogre magi. They're very powerful spellcasters who can breathe fiery lightning, inflicting twenty dice six dice of damage in a cone. And they're immensely strong and very uh, proficient with their weapons.
1: Yeah. So you know, just to clarify there, uh, when we mention rune giants, this is not like yeah. Know- it's a new,
0: new unique monster that hasn't been seen in ten thousand years.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. Only uh, they only dwelt in this location. So you are encountering them here in the dwelling of their master. Uh, and woe <laughs> betide because that is not an easy place. Yeah, and Thistletop with the... Uh... If you're worried about, like, oh, well, Wendigo doesn't sound like it's that bad, you know. Oh, it uh, is. Our high-level characters, by that point, should be able to handle that. All right, yes, theoretically. But... Um, but these encounters have been scaled up, and the Rune Giants are strong enough to provide a very serious...
0: Oh, as are the Devils and Blue Dragons.
1: Yeah, there are no slouches there either. But Zinshalost is full of enemies with a few potential allies. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Their own indifference and boredom
0: uh, can be used against them. Yeah, and in Wendigo and Pathfinder is like a 17-hit dice creature. So, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it's freaking powerful. Um, you know,
1: one of them against a team is a good fight. Oh, Oh,
0: yeah. Well, especially in the Dements where you're making your way up the mountain because you can't teleport up there because it's a cross-planar barrier.
1: Yeah, you got to do this the hard way. I hope
0: (laughs) Hope you brought your climbing boots. (laughs) There's space weather up and we can't use the transporter captain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you gotta climb up the old fashioned way, but you can use teleport to get pretty close. So, anyhow, just
1: don't wear a red shirt when you get there.
0: Yeah, the final <laughs> encounter is uh very memorable and it's well put up, uh, sat it out, and uh, it should test the metal of a group. But at that point in time, you should be around 17th, 18th level, and this is where the gloves fully come off. They're that first encounter with Karzog when he makes his appearance, and you think maybe he's still slumbering. Nope. <laughs> Projects image, casts time stop, and throws meteor swarms in quick succession.
1: Yeah, that's that's the level of encounter foot we're talking about. This yeah, that's is, just
0: showing up at his dement's the outside his door.
1: Yeah, that is his answer to your arrival. Uh, it should warn you that you know this is this is not going to be one of those uh, easy non-tactical opponents who is taking a nap in the throne room with. Like after ordering everybody out.
0: <laughs> yeah, the player's retreat is spell. you have two options at that point. After he throws a lot of his spells, you have two choices in front of you. You can either retreat and regain and heal uh, your spells and re- uh, rest up and recover from that, or you can attempt to bowl in so that he does not also do the same and be ready to re- rinse and repeat the next time he encounters in. So that puts a little bit of a strenuous time link. In that encounter chain that, you know, you're going to be on a time limit. You can't let him
1: rest too long afterwards. So you've got to bull rush him. Now, hopefully an experienced party that has reached the 18th level uh, will have abundant supplies and resources. uh, And a wide variety of backup plans, scrolls, potions, things like that to fill in the gap. So that they don't have to burn through all the spells in their repertoire uh, just getting to him. Uh, Having that in mind, like if they go for the bull's rush, uh, if they're smart, they're holding back on their best stuff.
0: Yeah, and also using stealth and consideration of, and a little bit of tact in how they uh, deal. You know, there is something to say for having a little bit of prudence in how you encounter or approach each encounter. You know, do you want to just, you know, can we pass this one by? Can we get around it and, you know, deal with it later? Well, that would be an ideal situation, but, you
1: yeah, know. The DM may not let you have that luxury, and sometimes the dice won't let you have Right, that exactly. So There's... being prepared either way is essential. This, I, you know, in their favor, Spires of Zinshalast is high-level play, and they knew it. Yep. Uh, and they knew what that meant, and I will... Nominally say that in a few instances in early Dungeons & Dragons, in some of the original modules, uh, there were comparatively few options for extreme high-level play. And so the first outings later on for groups beyond 12th, 14th level uh, were a little awkward. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in one case, notably the Tomb of Horrors, it was designed to be a campaign ender to like give the party a chance to start over so that the DM could finally, you know, bring that story to a close. The saga of this band has ended and we now move on to the next chapter and draw new characters up. Um, Bear in mind, the makers of Pathfinder came long after this and had already, you know, had a chance to look at some of the better publications uh, from TSR over the years for high-level campaign play. And they were pretty thoughtful about it. They really put the time and effort in to develop things that 18th to, you know, plus level characters are going to be challenged by without going so overboard that, like, there is no hope of survival. they managed to thread the needle, uh, not to mention adjustable scale. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the 3.5 edition era, uh, open gaming license, Die 20, uh, With Pathfinder and with uh, TSR's products at the time, you could scale up or down. And you could reduce the intensity of certain encounters if you felt it was necessary. Uh, If you have a team of at least six players, I don't think it's actually necessary to scale anything down. Uh, If you only got four, you might want to tweak downwards a little bit. You got seven or eight, and they're really well, serious butt kickers.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, but either way, you know, um, it it plays out pretty well at the end, and it can. In I've done it three times. One time it was a TPK. Um, <laughs> they all looked at each other, and I'm like, "Well, you were warned." Um, well, you didn't warn us strong enough. Oh, the whole part of the this guy leveled entire empires. You know. Single-handedly, he would stride across with just a few bodyguards and level entire cities. Just one guy. Yeah. You know. Oh, you missed that part. And the other two.
1: um, Take that moment out to buff. (laughs) The very
0: experienced players uh, spent their time buffing. Uh, Mike, of course, right here, knows the value well of Prismatic Sphere.
1: Oh. Not to mention things like an errant stone skin or two waiting in the wings. Well yeah, we both can, if had if that.
0: You, I, but you you know, his setting up a bastion of our own, saving that for honest scroll, this is what I saved this for. All things are now being expended.
1: Yeah. That I don't need it after this. This is the campaign ender. This is the grand saga. I'm not hanging on to this to like hide it in a vault somewhere. This is getting cashed in, so you use those big ticket items and you don't be shy. Huh. That is what is great about that module. I don't consider that a deficit; I consider that a strength. Yeah, he held. He held that uh, accumulated wealth of six modules worth of activity, and you're just cashing it in. Finally, blowout. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, and most of us were low on spells at the time, but we still managed to get in and do it pretty well. And then the other odd time I ran it, was about a mid-blade fight. It got kind of dicey at certain points, but then it turned.
1: I cashed the last in spell. all the low-level stuff. Oh, I knew oh. what was coming yeah, later.
0: And, well, we were all saving our high-level spells. but Anywho, uh, it is not just the end of the campaign because at the end, they give several hints how to keep the campaign going. There are uh, several foes that Karzog feared, and now that he's gone, they may seek to return as well.
1: Yeah, power does not exist in a vacuum. Huh. You know, The Rune Lords, as awful as they were, kept other things in check uh, yep. to mutual respect and fear. With the Rune Lord gone, what comes in its stead? So the seeds are planted that, like, wow, you could take this to the next level. You know? sure could. And it also set the stage for other
0: uh, tie-ins, including Return of the Rune Lords... As well as the Shattered Star. And uh, also, the Spectre of the Rune Lords uh, wove w- pretty well through most of the uh, other Pathfinder modules later on and uh, Adventure Paths, with namely Shattered Star, which probably we'll cover at some time in uh, the near future, as well as even in the next one, the Curse of the Crimson Throne, or, no, it was Second Darkness was the next one. But Curse of the Crimson Throne also alludes to another Rune Lord, and the several others are mentioned. Throughout the rise of the Rune Lords themselves, hinting that they will all soon be returning. Yeah, this, this is their time.
1: This is not going to be a fight that goes away. Uh, so They will shake the world of Pathfinder uh, beneath their mighty heels.
0: So, good job. Um, As we have uh, tried to detail, yes, there were spoiler alerts, but it's been out for... Over a decade now, so it's...
1: Oh, stupid. yeah, we, we feel like we're in pretty safe territory. They're rebooting and going to their second edition, so, uh, you know, there will probably be some uh, refitting. I don't know if they'll do the classic thing where they bring back familiar modules, or if they're going to just press forward and deliver some... Fantastic. Yeah, the return of the Rune Lords kind of ended that chapter a little bit. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's still, there's some, uh, two of the Rune Lords still kind of escape, but, you know, at the end, if uh, the players, even if they are very successful, but that's a story for another day. Oh, But yeah. yeah, Rise of the Rune Lords, their very first outing, as far as Paizo, a solo company no longer being supported by Wizards of the Coast or using Wizards of the Coast-approved products, were able to forge a new path for themselves, literally the name of the game, Pathfinder, and they were able to show that, you know, there is something about adventure modules that in and of themselves is what the core of the game is. Now, uh, Joe, when he uh, did call it, he did mention that uh, he thinks that a lot of the stuff is better than what Wizards is coming out with. Well, okay, that's subjective, but you know what? They took lessons from this. They started putting a big focus, rather than on endless supplements, with uh, also... Adventures that people would play and experience together.
1: Yeah, now I'm going to say from personal experience, uh, walking into a game shop and looking at the fifth edition shelf, uh, they are releasing product uh, that is thematically linked, that provides a lot of resources for a wide amount of play. Uh, no more, it, it's far less of the slender little one, to, one adventure game uh, with quirks and much more of the big arc type stories. So uh, D&D has come back to the well, mm-hmm. you know, and I am very excited about the directions they're taking. I I don't want to gush unabashedly. I'm not saying that every single product is pure gold, but I've seen the glimmerings of things that uh, you know, put that little shine back in my eyes, you know, that mm-hmm. like ooh very nice, you know, and I'm, I'm feeling that again, and I haven't felt that in a while. I mean, it, it's been since the uh, third edition stuff since I had that kind of glow, and we owe Pathfinder a big thank you for that, because they carried the torch for a while when Wizards was not doing it, uh, when the corporate boardroom was full of people that I'd probably just had a mental disconnect. Uh, I don't think they really grasped what makes a gamer tick, and that there was a brief moment where the leadership at the top had kind of lost the edge. Uh, And, well, that era appears to be over, tentatively speaking. It it looks like uh, the edge is back. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Pathfinder's got some stiff competition now. Uh, Oh, yeah. Well,
0: you know, it's good to see uh, D&D at the top, but, you know, there's Always a new game out there that's looking to up, be up and coming and always something uh, new to experience and play. So.
1: Oh, yeah, and I'm open to all of them. I mean, I, I have Absolutely. very little, uh, I don't have a lot of game hate, you know, I, I don't, coming at a new product, my first impulse, my first thought is, you know, how much fun would this be? Not how much am I going to decide to hate this?
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, right. you know, a little positive attitude goes a long way. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, with that said, I think that
0: uh, we're going to wind in. We're getting a little long in the uh, time. Yeah, and, we uh, So we're going to wind this down. But again, if you have any comments or questions, you can hold us on the Facebook group, the page uh Screaming. Uh, let us know what you think there. Uh, leave a comment or two. Or... You can get all of us on twitter at the usual haunts at death hand gaming
1: and magi vox you know, respectively
0: as well as you can download the Incrap and leave us a voice message and of course we'll feature on the show so uh with that said we thank you for listening and uh putting up with us as well as may the dice always roll in your favor we're out see ya